Welcome to Mariners Church Weekend Message Podcast. For more information on Mariners and ways you can get connected, head to marinerschurch.org or click the link in our show notes. I was seven years old when I first understood the respect and the admiration that Americans give to the President of the United States. My grandfather owned one of the largest farms in Illinois, and my uncle was in politics in the state of Illinois. He was the Secretary of Agriculture, and it was 1982, and Ronald Reagan was the President of the United States, and he delivered a speech on our family farm. I was a young boy, and I I remember seeing the Secret Service and seeing people show up, wait hours in line to see the president. I remember the presidential seal. I remember the honor that people were giving President Ronald Reagan. Here's actually a picture of my uncle taking President Reagan around on a tractor ride. And years later, after I became a Christian, I studied the scripture. I realized that as Christians, not only do we respect and honor leaders, but we are to pray for our leaders. We're to pray for our leaders, the scripture says. There's really three types of Christians when it comes to praying for a new president and praying for leaders. There's some that will only pray for a leader if they voted for the leader. Two, there's some who will never pray for a leader. And three, there's some who will pray for the president because the scripture says to pray for our leaders. And that's the kind of Christians that we wanna be. We wanna spend time praying today for President Biden and his administration as they have taken office. Now, I'm going to read the prayer. I actually sent this prayer in the month of October to friends that I have who are progressive and friends that I have who are conservative. And I asked them to read over this prayer and asked if they could pray this if the person they weren't voting for won. And I got great feedback from friends who said, Eric, this was actually really helpful for me. I could pray this no matter who wins, no matter who is president. And so I wrote this prayer and there was a blank in it for a long time on whose name was gonna be put here. But I believe that this is how the scripture would have us pray for our new president, for President Biden. And so here's what I wrote. Because we believe as Romans 13, one declares that there's no authority except from God and that all authorities exist are instituted by God, we acknowledge that the Lord is the one who places leaders in their positions in this country, the country that we're so thankful for because of the great freedoms that we enjoy. Because the Lord commands us in 1 Timothy 2.2 to pray for those who are in authority, we are honored to pray for our new president and other leaders today. And so will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, the one whose name is above all names and the king who is above all kings, we pray that you would bless President Biden and other elected leaders and their families. Lord, please meet all of their needs according to your riches and glory. We ask you to continually remind our president of your grace and your love. We ask you to protect him and his family. We pray that you would give President Biden and our leaders wisdom. According to your word, you graciously give wisdom to those who ask for it. And we're asking on behalf of our president and other leaders, Lord, please grant wisdom as they lead and serve the people of our country. We pray you would use President Biden to administer justice. Lord, we believe you have created people in your image 
and that you care deeply for the vulnerable, including the unborn, the immigrant, the poor, and the oppressed. Please turn our leaders' hearts towards all people as all people carry your image. Lord, we know you've chosen the times and places for every single person to live. And we're thankful that, we've, that you've chosen for us to live in this country. Yet we know this is not our ultimate home and that you are our ultimate king. As we are ambassadors of your kingdom, enable us to be examples of love, of grace and truth to our neighbors and fellow citizens. We pray these things in the name of Jesus, our King and our Savior, amen. What a week we've had. I love that Eric just led us in prayer for our new leaders. We got to see inauguration where there was a peaceful transfer of power, which we were just amazed at and got to enjoy. Last week in our church, over 200 people stood and said, I believe their eternity changed forever. What a week. And then on top of that, I got to sign up for my vaccine. So I'm gonna be able to do that in a week. Life is good. But the best part is that we're here in church and we get to spend time in God's word where God is gonna speak to us. I had one of the best conversations of my life in the most boring place in the whole world. I was driving through West Texas, which we used to go to Texas every summer and spend time with my family and my sons. And when, you, when we drove there, we'd go through West Texas, which is the most boring place in the universe. For eight hours, nothing changes. And just as we were driving there, my son, my youngest son, who was just heading off to college, asked me this question. He says, Dad, I'm going off to college. Do you have any words of wisdom for me? Can you imagine that? I'm like going, oh, wow. What would you do if your child said that to you? Where would you turn? Where would you go? So I went to the book of Proverbs because Proverbs is a book that our Heavenly Father gives us that teaches us how life works. He gives us wisdom because he knew we would need it in the decisions that we had to make in life, to go where we wanted to go, in, in these dangerous moments where we're trying to figure it out. God gives us wisdom. And so I gave him some wisdom. I talked to him about a relationship with God. I talked about even the verse we talked about last week, guard your heart. Above all else, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. What does that mean? Talked about friendships. And then at each one, I said, you want to know more? And amazingly, he says, yeah, I want to know more. And so the next one I gave him, as I said, you know what? I'll give you a word of wisdom. Do you know what Proverbs says? Proverbs says, it says, pursue integrity. I tell you, as you're going off to college, one of the most important things is to be honest. Make what you say and what you do be the same thing. Don't live two different lives. Don't say one thing and do another. And as I said that, I could see that his eyes were starting to glaze over and he's thinking, eh, I'm not that interested in integrity and honesty. You know, really, you're going to jam that at me? And so I said, to him, I, I thought, well, I got to make this interesting. So I said, you know, what's your favorite TV show? And I knew at that time, his favorite TV show was uh, Man vs. Wild. And it was a TV show where Bear Grylls, who was uh, uh, trained by the British Special Forces and an expert on survival, would be dropped in the most dangerous places in the world, in the Arctic, in the Amazon, or in a desert, or in the Everglades. I mean, just where people die. And he only had a canteen a knife and some flint to start fires. And so I said, 
When you watch that show, what are the great lessons that you learn from Bear Grylls about survival? And so he was kind of interested in that. And he said, well, you know, the first thing that I learned is you got to stay out of danger. I mean, he's always talking, stay away from danger, protect yourself. If you're in altitude, you got to get down and lower as fast as you can. If it is cold, get warm. If it's rainy, get out, you know, get dry. Uh, he would talk about how, you know, don't walk across a frozen lake. I mean, just don't, don't put yourself, you're already trying to survive. You've got to stay out of danger. And then I said, well, she learned. He said, and he thought, and he goes, well, you know, he's always talking about how important it is to drink lots of water and to eat food. Everywhere you go, find some place and finds all these interesting places to drink water. And <laughs> it's kind of gross. And then also food. I mean, he's eating berries and bugs, but you got to sustain uh, your energy, you know, your survival depends on it. And then the third thing he talked about, I said, what else did he do? He goes, well, he's always building a fire. And what's interesting is when he built a fire, it wasn't just to stay warm, but it was to fortify his spirit. Because he says, you know, if you don't keep your spirits up, you're just not going to survive. And so I said to him, you know what? When you pursue integrity, that's what you're doing. You're getting those three things. You're, it's a way to stay out of trouble. It is a way to sustain your energy and it's a way to keep up your spirit. So if you're gonna survive in college, integrity, being honest, is a key thing. And he looked at me a little bit more quizzically now and it was like, well, okay, you got my interest, but you're gonna have to prove it to me. So I said, okay, let's look at Proverbs 11. And we're gonna just look at six uh, Proverbs there. And what I wanna do is I'll read one and then you just summarize it in your own words, and let's see what Proverbs says about honesty and integrity. So he said, okay, so let's do that. So as I read it, you just try to think, how would you summarize this Proverbs, proverb in your own words? Dishonest scales are detestable to the Lord, but an accurate weight is his delight. So I asked my son, how would you summarize that? And he said, God loves honesty, he hates dishonesty. And I thought, that's a good summary. God hates, God hates dishonesty. There's not a lot of things, when you think, if you've read the Bible, there's not a lot of things that God hates. He hates dishonesty, but he loves honesty. Specifically, he says he hates dishonest scales. And in these days, this goes way back into the ancient days, every business transaction, there were scales. And it was possible for a dishonest merchant to tweak the scales, I mean, to make them dishonest. Just like when you're weighing yourself on the bathroom scale and you don't like what it says, you just try to find a stand on it differently or you put your arm on something, you know, you change the weight. And you can imagine just even in our own world, you know, because they didn't have money, so it's always scales. And so you can imagine like if you went and every time you went to a business and you used your credit card, they would show you a certain number, but say they charged you more. It would be dishonest scales. God hates that. God hates it when people value money more than people, when people value money more than their own character and integrity. God hates that, but he loves honesty. So first thing we see is the best way to stay out of danger. <laughs> be honest. Look at what it says in 11.2. When arrogance comes, disgrace follows. But with humility comes wisdom. How would you summarize that? And I think he said, humility brings wisdom. That's a great summary of it. Uh, and what he says here is, you know, dishonesty brings pride. I mean, when we are arrogant, man, when we lie to ourselves, we overview our own strengths, we minimize other people's strengths, 
It just leads to all sorts of destruction because we're lying to ourselves. But humility is this great ability, I said to him, where you assess yourself right. You don't see yourself higher than you are. You don't see yourself lower. You have humility. You see yourself accurately. So with humility comes wisdom. So Proverbs 11:3. how would you summarize this one? The integrity of the upright guides them, but the perversity of the treacherous destroys them. I said, how would you summarize that? And he goes, well, he thought, and he says, well, integrity has got to be your guide. So integrity makes a good guide. Dishonesty destroys people. And that's right. When you are dishonest, it destroys every relationship. It destroys trust. People, they don't feel safe around you. It makes, uh, ultimately, it steals your future. Um, and you live in a lot of fear. I like in David in Psalm 32, he says, when I wasn't honest, he goes, literally, it sapped all my energy. I felt like my bones were rotting away. Uh, I was weak and miserable. And I told my son, and I tell you right now, I have proven that true in my own life. When I have been dishonest with myself or others, it absolutely saps my strength. I am drained from it. Then in verse four, look at what it says. It says, wealth is not profitable on the day of wrath, but righteousness rescues from death. How would you summarize that one? And I think he said, integrity is better than money. I said, do you believe that? He goes, no, nah, I don't think I do. You know, money's a really good thing. But the reality is, as we thought about it, you know, in the day of judgment, when calamity strikes or there is a crisis, money usually can't buy you out of a crisis, but your good reputation can, relationships can, being trusted by other people is what really saves you in the day of trouble. And then uh, verse five and six are sort of the same idea said two different ways. The righteousness of the blameless clears his path, but the wicked person will fall because of his wickedness. I said, how would you summarize that one? He says, well, the safest path is honesty. And that's a good summary. The safest path to walk is just to be honest. And then verse six, says this, the righteousness of the upright rescues them, but the treacherous are trapped by their own desires. How would you summarize that? Well, integrity and honesty keeps you safe. So it's the same idea. And I said, you see examples of that. And he could list, just like you could, so many examples of what happens when we aren't honest. It makes us not safe. People lose their jobs because of a controversial tweet or they post a racist remark. And they think that they're doing something in private, but then it becomes public to everyone. Just this week, a coach lost his job because he texted an inappropriate picture to another reporter. A sports announcer lost his job because of a media post that his bosses felt was incendiary. And it just, they said, no, we can't allow that. Graduating high school student lost their acceptance to a college and a scholarship because of a social media post. And we saw over the last couple of weeks, people who went, you know, who went to Washington, broke into the Capitol, where they, because they were in another state or another city, they thought they could do something that they wouldn't do in their own neighborhood. And as a result, they've lost their job. And it's just true. The safest path is honesty. It's just the safest path. And uh, so what integrity means is that you are consistent in what you say and do. You're consistent. Your private life is the same as your public life. Uh, you're the same person at work and the same person at home. 
there is this wholeness to your life, you have integrity. And so as we talked, I said, and you know, integrity can be measured. So how do you measure integrity in your life? I mean, you can measure the distance between what you say and what you do by the gap. There's always a gap, what I say and what I do. Uh, how I uh, want to be seen and then how I really live. My life in public and my life in private. And the, the size of the gap, the larger the gap, less integrity I have, the smaller the gap, the more integrity that I have. And we all have gaps and we can see them in our life. I mean, it's a new year. So what do all of, all of us talk about? You know, I wanna be healthy. I'm gonna go on a diet. You know, I'm gonna exercise. And so we say that and yet, you know, we don't exercise and we eat the same bad foods. And so there's a huge gap there. Um, we say we wanna honor God. I, I wanna honor God. I mean, he owns everything that I have. And yet we spend all of our money on ourselves and we don't give any away. So a huge gap. We say we wanna be loving people. I wanna be a loving spouse. I wanna love my kids. And yet we give all of our best energy, our most creativity to our job. There's a huge gap there. Uh, we say we wanna be a loving person. We wanna love people. And yet in this last election cycle, we had hard opinions and we were divisive and we put our opinions ahead of people. And so there's a huge gap. We weren't loving people. We wanna be honest and pure, and yet we compromise just a little. And so there's a gap there. And we see this gap best in social media. I mean, we go on Instagram and Facebook and we post the highlight reels of the life that we want people to see. You know, our kids are perfect. Our life is perfect. We're happy. You know, our marriage is perfect. And so we just project this crazy good life, all of the trophies and the things that we want. And we know that it's important to us because as we look at other people's uh, posts, Facebook accounts and stuff, we can feel, com we compare ourselves with them. And we feel depressed when people feel like they've got a better life than we do. And so you can measure the gap of what you post and then how you really live your life. And then people go the other way and they say, okay, I'm not gonna compete. And so what they post are just the worst parts of their life. And they go, I'm just terrible. But they don't live the terrible life they post. And it's the same thing, just the other way. So you can measure the gap. So in this moment, you know, where are the gaps in your life? You know, just as you've thought about it, where would you say, boy, there's some gaps in my life. Where are the biggest gaps? Where are the places where you, there's just a clear difference between what you say and what you do. And then the question really is, how would you go about closing that gap? And that's what I talked about with my son. What would it take for you to do that? Jesus said it perfectly. Look at what he says in Matthew 5. But let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. Look at this. Anything more than this is from the evil one. You know, he's saying when your yes doesn't mean yes, there's that gap. When your no doesn't mean no, there's a big gap of integrity. And when you do that, Jesus says, you are speaking the language of hell. I mean, that's how much he loves honesty. And so my word of wisdom to my son when he was headed off to college, as I said, you know, the best thing that you can do is pursue a life of honesty a life of integrity. And I said, the best way to do that is this, simply be honest with God, be honest with yourself, be honest with others. Of course, he's 
young man, and he's saying, well, how do I do that? How do you do that, Dad? I mean, what does it mean to be honest with God and to be honest with yourself, to be honest with others? So I told him what I do. One of the verses that I love in the Bible is this in Jeremiah 17, 9. I reflect on this a lot. The heart is more deceitful than anything else and incurable. Who can understand it? And then I love the answer. I, the Lord, I can understand it. I examine the mind. I test the heart. And so, you know, what he's saying there is all of us are broken people. I mean, we just are. And we're, man, we're deceitful. We lie to ourselves. We lie to others. And we know that it wasn't always this way. I mean, originally when we were created, we lived in a perfect world and we had honesty and purity. We were honest with God and ourselves and others. But even in that perfect world, we didn't want life on God's terms and we wanted to go our own way. And so we rebelled. We said, no, God, we're gonna do what we think is best. And immediately when we did that, we destroyed everything. We broke our relationship with God. We were no longer honest. We hid from God and we had this huge sense of shame and we blamed God and we began to have lies and lies in our heart because of our own selfishness. But the good news is God loved us too much to leave us that way. And so he sent Jesus to rescue us and to restore our integrity. And this is the great news. We can walk in integrity, but this is the most important thing that you've got to hear. And I told this to my son because it is critical for us to understand. Walking in integrity does not happen by us trying to be good or perfect people that we will never be perfect that way, we'll never. But ultimately integrity, the first step towards integrity is when we are honest. The only way we have a relationship, like the 200 people who stood and said, I believe last week, the way that it began is them just to be honest, God, I can't, I can't, I can't save myself. I can't be good enough. I can't rescue myself, but God, you can. And you said you did through Jesus. And so I'm gonna trust in you. Integrity just simply begins with honesty. And so the biggest challenge in our life is to just be honest with our brokenness. And the danger in that is the two extremes. One is we're too easy on ourselves. And the other is that we're too hard on ourselves. How is it that we are too easy on ourselves? What's when we do something and we are just so sure of our motives? You know, people look at us and, you go, and they question our motives and they go, no, I, I know I'm being absolutely fair. No, I know this is right. We give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We easily dismiss others when they ask us a question. That's when we are prideful. <laughs> I had the best illustration of that. This week, I have, you know, I have a number of grandkids and uh, two of my grandkids, the brothers, there's a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And so, you know, I'm watching the older brother, the four-year-old, and I gave him a cookie. And I said, now you need to uh, share that with your brother. And so he takes this big cookie and he divides, I go divide it with your brother and he divides it. And he takes just, a, he has a big chunk of the cookie. I mean, it's like 90% of the cookie and he breaks off about 10% and he hands it to his younger two-year-old brother. And you can see he's looking at it and he looks at me and you, you know, he knows that I have a question. And so he just looks at me like with total purity. And he says, my younger brother always likes the smaller piece. And the younger two-year-old's going, no, 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 no. And he's trying to reach it. And then later I was playing a game with him where in Christmas he got this game where you spin tops and they battle each other. 
And so I'm playing with him and he looks at me, this four-year-old, and he goes, I, I never lose this game. I never lose. <laughs> I go, how is it you never lose? And he says, well, when we spin the tops, if mine doesn't look like it's winning, it's just because I had a bad start, so I'll just grab it to start over. And you think only a child would think, I mean, he looks at me and in his mind, he's totally innocent because he's thinking, I absolutely am sure of my motives. I am thinking just about, you know, I am not selfish. I'm not self-centered. I'm just thinking about myself. Only a child, right, would be so foolish. And yet we all do that. In pride, we give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. We are so sure we're doing something and we're loving others when we're not. And I love Paul's example in uh, 1 Corinthians. Uh, the book of Corinthians, as it starts off, Paul was writing to a group of people. Can you imagine this? I mean, imagine. They were, they, they were, they were divided. And do you know what they were divided over? Two people. Some people were saying, Apollos is a better teacher and a leader, or Paul is a better teacher or leader. Can you imagine people being divided over leadership? And in a church, and I mean, they were divisive and they were angry and they were fighting each other. And the first part of the book of uh, Corinthians is literally written to people who are blowing their relationships apart because they're divisive. And look at how Paul models it. He's great because he's talking about this difficult situation. And he says, look at, it's dangerous when we just trust our own judgment, when we just think our opinions are right. And he goes, I, he goes, I think my opinions are right. And he says, and my conscience is clear, but that doesn't make me innocent. Only God knows the heart. Isn't that a great model? Because you see what he's saying? He's saying in that situation, he goes, look at, I've looked it at it. I think I'm doing this right, but I don't know. Only God really knows. And so the first danger is when we are just too easy on ourselves, we're never gonna be honest because we're giving ourselves the benefit of the doubt. And then the second trap is when we're too hard on ourselves. I mean, we just live with guilt and shame and we're so aware that we're broken and we have mixed motives and we never try to do anything in love because it's like, well, I'll never be loving. I can never do anything and have absolute integrity. And so we're just locked up. And so as I was talking to my son, so I said, do you get it? And he goes, well, okay. You know, I clearly see, I don't wanna be too easy on myself. I don't wanna be too hard. So, you know, what do I do? And I said, I'll tell you what I do. I pray through Psalm 139 on a regular basis. And I said, now here's what Psalm 139 says. It just is three big ideas. And it is the way for us to live in honesty, to live in integrity. The first part of the Psalm just says this. God, everywhere I go, you're there. You know everything about me. You created me. You know my thoughts. You know my thoughts even before I have them. You know what I'm gonna do before uh, I do anything. I mean, it doesn't matter where I go, you're there, you know everything about me. And so I just stopped and I asked my son, how does that make you feel? <laughs> I mean, how does that make you feel? And I think for all of us, that is an overwhelming thought because we go, God, if God knows everything about it, he knows all of my thoughts, all of my dark thoughts, when I'm angry, treacherous, all those things that I don't even wanna to admit to, God knows that. Boy, it makes me want to hide from God. I remember my son goes, makes me want to wear a hat, you know, so just God can't see. But that doesn't, that doesn't help. I mean, God knows everything. And I said, so the second part of the psalm is so great because you know what, the, what David says? He says, but God, your thoughts of me are always loving. I mean, is that great? I mean, God looks at our hearts 
And he never says to us, oh, I'm so disappointed in you. I am so surprised. I never thought you would be that bad. Ah, oh, I can't believe you're not acting better than this. I mean, every time God looks at us in any situation, he says, I love you. I knew this about you. I still love you. You can't disappoint me. You can't surprise me. I love you. And I asked my son, how does that make you feel? And he goes, boy, that makes me feel really safe. If I knew that it didn't matter what I thought, no matter what I do, that there's a God who always loves me, boy, that creates a lot of security. And then I said, at the end of the Psalm, look at what then David prays. He says, search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my concerns. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the everlasting way. He says, you know, God, I wanna be honest with you. So God, you look at my heart. You tell me who I am. You tell me where I'm, I'm lying to myself. You tell me where I'm being offensive. Tell me where I'm just absolutely blind. God, you, you know, that's the first step, just to be honest with God. God, you show me what's true. Just to open your heart because he loves us. He already knows. Say, God, would you show that? And then we can be honest with ourselves and say, you know what? I'm not as innocent as I think. I don't listen. I am more judgmental. I just get to be honest with myself. And then ultimately, you can be honest with others. And I told my son, I said, this is a journey that I pursue on a regular base, on a regular basis. When weekly, if not daily, I pray through that Psalm and I say, God, you know everything about me when I'm coming to decisions, uh, when I'm forming an opinion on something, when I feel hurt, I say, God, you know everything about me and you still love me. God, would you search my heart? Would you tell me the truth about myself? I, I think I have this right, but that doesn't make it right. I think that I understand, but I might not. God, would you tell me the truth about myself? And you know, if you're like me, the people that I connect with, that's how they live. You know, when you talk to them, they go, I wanna do this, but I know that I'm mixed. And they can talk honestly about the confusion in their life. They can talk honestly about their motives as best they can. And it's just refreshing to be around someone who has insight into themselves. And then if you're like me, when you talk to someone and you're saying something, they go, oh, I never do that. No, I, I don't, I, I'm fine. No, no, I'm, I'm innocent. And, and you look at them and you think, you, you don't even see yourself. I don't even know how to connect to those people. I wanna be the kind of person that's saying, God, you search me. You, you look at my heart. You tell me the truth. Because I said to my son, the best thing I can tell you as you're going off to college, you want a word of wisdom. The best thing you can do is pursue integrity. Be honest. Be honest with God. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with others. It will keep your life safe. And that's what Bear Grylls said, right? Stay out of trouble. You know, that's the first thing. Best way to stay out of danger, just to be honest. The second thing you learn from Bear Grylls is, is ultimately sustain your energy. And he says, you gotta drink, you gotta eat food. And so I asked my son, I go, so spiritually, what is the best way to sustain your life, your spiritual life? And of course, if you've been around church, you don't know the answer, you just say Jesus, right? And so he said, 
Jesus, right? And that's what it is. Look at John 15. Jesus said, if you remain in me, abide in me, stay connected to me, and I in you. And he uses a picture of, of a branch connected to a tree. He says, just as a branch is unable to produce fruit by itself unless it remains in the vine, connected, neither can you. So this whole point is only as you're connected to me does spiritual life flow out. And so I said, you know, the only way that ultimately you're going to be able to live the kind of life, live a life of integrity is if you're connected to Jesus. And I said, so how do you connect with Jesus? And he got it right. You know, well, you pray, spend time in God's word, you know, make sure you're going to church, you know, listening to God, he speaks and then spend time praying. I go, that's right, that's what you do. And then the third thing that Bear Grylls talks about is to keep up your spirit. I said, how do you do that? And he goes, well, he talks about building a fire. How do you build a fire? And I said, ultimately, it's, you've got to have people in your life that want to do the same things that you want. You know, it, more important than to be known for something is to be known by someone. Last week, we looked at Proverbs 13, where it says, the one who walks with the wise, or it says two weeks ago, one who walks with the wise becomes wise, but a companion of fools suffer harms. I mean, who you are around will determine kind of the trajectory of your life. So I said, you need to have other people uh, that you're connected to. And that's why as a church, we work so hard to get people in rooted and get connected. So you have people that are going. So he got it. And I said, let me give you an example. And I think this is one of the most exciting stories and inspiring stories in the whole Bible. It's the story of Daniel, who is a young man who's about the same age as my son at the time. And I said, at this time, God's people were not following God. I mean, prophets had come. Uh, Ezekiel, Jeremiah, Isaiah all said, turn back to God, you need to turn back to God. And people were running away from God. And he said, God said to the people through his prophets, you're running away from my protection and provision. You're going off a cliff. This is not gonna go well for you. And so God warns them, I mean, for years and years, over a hundred years, and they still won't turn. And so ultimately the Babylonians come in, they destroy Jerusalem, they wipe out the temple, they take all the articles of the temple, back to Babylonian, where, where that's the capital of uh, th that region. And they put it in their temples to show our gods are stronger than your gods. And in addition to that, they take all of the young people, the best and the brightest, and they, they bring them into this situation and they indoctrinate them. And really what they did was genius. They, they take them away from their family, their friends, their language and their culture. And they begin this indoctrination program where they give them new names. They put them in a new place and a new culture. They had the best education system at the time in mathematics and architecture and physics, astronomy, agriculture. They gave them new diets. And they had this three-year process where they trained them. And at the end, they were all tested and, the, and, and they were given positions of authority and responsibility. So it's amazing. And what's incredible in this situation is Daniel lives a life of integrity. So, well, how did he do it? Well, first of all, he fortified his spirit. Uh, he got a group of guys around him. Look at what it says in Daniel 1.17. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding. So Daniel understands he needs a small group. He needs people who want to be right, who are going to live a life of honesty and integrity. They're not going to compromise. And so he has this group. And then the second thing that he does is that he commitments, he has a commitment to stay out of trouble. Look at what it says in 1.8. Daniel and his friends determined they would not defile themselves. They said, we are going to do what God wanted us to do. And so there's only one thing that really 
they were being asked to do. I mean, God's word didn't say to them, you can't get educated. It didn't say that you can't, you know, dress the way he did. They changed their names. There wasn't anything wrong with that. Really, the only thing that they were doing at that time was uh, the diet was wrong. And, and actually, Jeremiah had warned. He said, look, you're going to be taken away into captivity. And when you do, you need to understand, you need to work for the peace. You need to pray for the peace. You need to help that city prosper. And in Jeremiah 29, you probably know the verse where he says, I know the plans I have for you. They're not to destroy you, to give you a hope and a future. And so he, he'd already told these, these, you know, the people that would go into exile, God's still with you. And so Daniel knew that, but he knew that it would be wrong to eat the food. God, you read the Old Testament, he has really clear standards on their diet. And so he knew that it would be a compromise if he did that. Now, Daniel and his friends had every reason to compromise. One, first of all, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, was not an understanding guy. I mean, he cut people's heads off. They didn't do what he said. So there was just danger. The second, he's far away from his home. There's no one else that would know what he was doing. The generation that was ahead of him and before that, all of his, you know, the mentors that he had, they weren't following God. Uh, the people, uh, everyone else was compromising. And ultimately it would, it would, it, it stood that he might lose a great position. He was competing with all these other kids and he would lose maybe a great job, a great income, a position of influence if he did it. But what's amazing is that Daniel and his friends said, no, we're gonna, we're gonna live the way that God told us to live. And they're gonna live lives of honesty and integrity. So, do they, so Daniel and his friends go to his immediate supervisor and they say, can we eat a different diet? Food that's a little bit more clean, a uh, little bit more healthy. And amazingly, the guy says, okay, for 10 days, so they do it for 10 days and it works fine. Then 10 more days, 10 days. They go on for three years. And then ultimate, look at what it says. They trusted God to sustain him. It says, God granted, God granted Daniel kindness and compassion. God gave these four young men knowledge and understanding and every kind of literature and wisdom. The king interviewed them. And among all of them, no one was equal to Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. In every matter of wisdom and understanding, that the king consulted them about them, he found them 10 times better. Is that amazing? And so, you know what I love about this is that you came to church today, I mean, online, you, you, you came and you looked because you said, I need God to speak to me. I need to hear a word from the Lord. And you have heard it. And you know what the word that God is speaking to you? It's time. It's time for you to close the gap and to live a life of integrity and honesty so that you're the same person in private as you're in public, that what you say and what you do are the same things. And what I'm not saying is that you need to try harder or double down and work harder and do that because integrity is not about you being good. It's about you being honest. That's what the Bible says. And so we embrace God's transforming work in our life and we're just honest. And so where has God touched your heart? Because he spoke to you. And Philippians says that God is at work in us first to make us want to obey him and then to help us do what he wants. And so he already has is, got you in a place where you probably want to close the gap, not in every area of your life, just one area, because God's loving and kind. Nobody can work in every area. And so what's the area that God wants you to work 
in your life because of the pandemic, you know, maybe just all the pressure at school or at work, uh, because of the political thing, just uh, the pressure of this last situ this last season. Maybe there's anger in your life and frustration, or maybe your thought life is kind of spun out of control and you're just not where you want to be. And there's a gap between who you want to be there and the way that you're living. Or maybe in this new year, you said, you know, I want to be healthier. You want to be. And yet you just haven't taken the steps to change your lifestyle and your diet and your exercise. Or maybe this last political season, you say, you know, I want to be a loving person, but you became divisive and you made issues more important than people. And you realize, you know, that wasn't good. And so you're saying, God, I need to close the gap. I need to make people more important than issues. I need to be a loving person. I want to close the gap. Maybe it's in your marriage. You want to be a loving person, but you heard God speak to you. You say that you want to be a loving father, loving wife. Uh, you want to love your kids. And yet the best energy, the most creativity, it goes to your job. So you say, I want to close that. You might say, you know, I want the joy of the Lord in my life. I want to, to walk with him. I want to know him. And yet you don't just spend a regular time walking with him and you end up spending all your time watching the news or other things and it just kind of spins you out. You want to live an, a life of honesty and integrity and yet there's secrets in your life. And so really, I mean, you're at church and God has spoken to you and he said, it's time to close the gap. So you know what you need to do is just hold out your hands and say, God, you know everything about me. You know what I think before I think it. You know what I'm going to say. You know every truth. You know the darkest things about my life. And while that's terrifying, the most amazing thing is, God, you love me. You love me. And because you love me, I can say, God, search my heart. You look at my heart and would you tell me, show me where there's any place where there's deceit, a lack of honesty. God, I want to be honest with you. I want to be honest with myself and I want to walk in honesty. And then for some of you, it's time, God's saying, it's time for you to get connected. We've got so many different ways to get connected in it with others because that's the only way that really, you know, you're going to make it to where you want to go. But most importantly, the only way that you can sustain your spiritual energy is as you are connected with Jesus. I mean, Jesus is the one who satisfies our hunger. He is the one who quenches the thirst of our souls. And the best thing is that Jesus gave us this reminder about how we are to walk with Jesus, to be dependent on Jesus, to remind us how much we need Jesus and it's communion. And I want you to take communion with me right now. You know, what's amazing about communion is that Jesus was with his disciples and he said, he took the bread and he said, you're going to forget some things about me and I need you to remember them because if you don't, you're just going to spin out. You're going to lose that sense of honesty. And so he took bread while they were celebrating the Passover and he said, this bread is a picture of my body which is for you. He says, I want you to take and eat it to remember me. Now, what is it that he was afraid they would forget? 
He's afraid that they would forget that Jesus really was God in the flesh and he came to this world and he was like us to be with us, to love us. See, when we forget that, we think, I'm all alone. Jesus doesn't understand. He doesn't know what it's like for me to face the trials, the difficulties that, uh, that I live in. He doesn't understand the pain of this world. But when we hold this breath, bread and we realize that Jesus became just like us to be with us, he knows me. He knows me. And what's amazing, he knows everything I face and he loves me. That's what the bread says, that Jesus was like me and he loves me. I'm not alone. It's that reminder in Psalm 139. He looks at me and he knows me and he loves me. He says, I never want you to forget that you are loved. This is my body, which is given for you. You take and you eat the bread. And eating it is a way for it to metabolize, to become a part of us. It is the way that Jesus sustains us. And then after supper, Jesus took a cup and he says, this cup is a new covenant in my blood that is shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus was afraid that we would forget that Jesus actually died on the cross and shed his blood to forgive us of our sins. And when we forgive that, forget that, we start to think that we've got to work harder. We've got to try harder. We've got to do more to earn forgiveness. But when we take this cup and we say, this cup is Jesus' blood that was shed for me so that I can be forgiven. It's not what I do. It's what Jesus does. And when I remember that I am forgiven, it's not just forgiveness, but he transforms us. He makes us new that we can become the people he wants us to be. So take and drink the cup. We are so glad that you joined us today. And before we go and I give the benediction, we wanna say a special thanks to all the medical workers, their dedication and courage, their amazing strength to help us, to protect so many of us during this time. We just want to say thank you. And we wanna pray for you. And so if you text the number that you see on the screen, we just wanna pray with you. We wanna know how to pray for you. We are so blessed by what you're doing. So hear our thanks. And we wanna pray for you. Lord, would you bless all of the medical workers? Would you keep them safe? And Lord, we know the strain on them is amazing. And more than we can understand, would you sustain them as only you can? Only you can give them the strength that they need. Only you can quench the thirst of their heart. Only you can calm the confusion and give them clarity. So God, would you do that? And would you give them a powerful sense that you love them so much and are grateful for all that they do? We ask in Jesus' name. And then would you hold out your hands and receive God's blessing? Father, look at your children. They love you. Would you bless them this week and keep them, hold them fast in your love? Would you cause your face to shine upon them and be gracious to them? Would you lift up the light of your countenance? Would you turn your attention towards them? And would you hear their prayers? And would you answer their cries for help? And in this season, God, would you give them peace? 
We ask in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Go in God's grace. You have a great day. Thanks for tuning in to the Mariner's Weekend Message Podcast. To support the ministry of Mariner's Church, you can head to the website by clicking the link in our show notes or text MYMARINERS to 77977.